Good morning, everybody, and welcome to episode 138 of the Quickie Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and thank you so much for being here. My guest today is Chelsea Burkett from Chelsea Burkett Design, and she's also a designer at Motivated Marketing out in Charleston, South Carolina. During this episode, we talk about her move to the Carolinas and why she dove in there. We talk about how she was sort of designing and creating a whole lot when she was younger, but didn't really know it yet. We talk about how she kind of fell into design by just following her gut, and that's where it led her, how design can shift perspectives, and a project that she was a part of that she's really proud of that got a lot of eyeballs, a lot, and what that was. We also talk about her portfolio and how in the beginning it definitely was not the type of portfolio that she wanted to present and how she went about improving the portfolio. We also talk about her early days of freelancing and building her business and how she's doing that and so much more. Chelsea is a gem to talk to. She is so kind and I'm so glad she could be on the show today. So let's get to it. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest, Chelsea Burkett. Here we go. Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field, and we do it in 30 minutes or less. So, are you ready for a Quickie? Chelsea, how are you? Good, how are you? Doing great. (laughs) Thanks so much for making time for the show today. Of course, of course. Um, so first, most importantly, are you ready for a quickie? Uh, yeah. Perfect. Definitely. Yeah, your eyes said yes. <laughs> um, let's start with the tough stuff. Briefly tell the listeners about yourself. Oh, goodness. Well, my name is Chelsea Burkett, and I'm a graphic designer at Motivated Marketing in Charleston, South Carolina. And then I side hustle pretty hard with like my passions, which is like branding identity and illustration. Um, I'm not originally from Charleston. I'm actually from East Tennessee, Mm -hmm. good old Johnson City, Tennessee. (laughs) And I lived there for 25 years um, until I was like, you know what, let's like do a change before, like, because I've never moved before because I even went to school at the local university there. Yeah. And I just like took the dive and went, you know, straight to the coast. So here I am and beach life now. Okay, very cool. So did you have any... Like, did you have a job lined up? Did you just be like, you know what? I need to change and picked up well, and left? Pretty much. Like, I worked at a sign shop, actually, a local sign shop. Like, you would call it a mom and pop shop, but they had, like, a lot of big clients. Mm-hmm. And I was a lead designer there, and we had a lot of big clients. But I was like, I'm going to get stuck here if I don't go. So <laughs> I just, like, applied for jobs. And I was like, whatever first job I get away from this town, I'll go. And ended up here. That's such a cool thing. You know, takes yeah, I, uh, takes a lot to just pack up and go. Yeah, I only knew one person here that I worked with in retail back in the day, and I was like, "Well, I guess I'll make new friends." <laughs> Very cool. Okay, and how long have you been living in in the on the coast for? Uh, two and a half years. Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. 
and definitely different kind of vibe than where you were from? Definitely. Like I'm from the Appalachian mountains. So it's like used to back roads and like winter weather, snow. And Mm -hmm. now down here, it's like, there's no snow. Summer lasts forever. (laughs) And I mean, you have a beach down the road, so you can just go tan any time of year. Very cool. That's nice. Yeah, I don't, uh, I'm on the West Coast in Vancouver, up in Canada here, and we don't, I mean, when the weather's nice, it's nice, and the beach is right there, but uh, the rest of the time, like today, it's absolutely pouring rain and very cold, tis the season. Yeah, it never rains here, pretty much. I know it rained here last weekend, but it usually does not. Crazy. I don't even know what that's like. Um, So... Chelsea, I want to dive back further. You had sort of skimmed over uh, your childhood a little bit, but I want to talk about that a little bit more. Um, What was your childhood like? Do you feel that you had a creative childhood that led you in this career path? Oh, yeah, definitely. My mom, like, she was a hairdresser, and, like, she loved to design all my Halloween costumes. And she's just very, like, creative and, like, loves crafts. And I feel like she pushed me into, like, you know, if you want to make something, do it. And actually... Like, my, like, earliest memory of, like, doing, like, creative things was, like, with a VTech paint, um, vi- no, video painter. I don't know mm. if you ever heard of those, but no. they're from the 90s. Okay. And you plug them in, like, analog, like, into a TV, and it's just like a tablet. So you, like, select the color. They have, like, little buttons on the side. You select a color, and you draw. And they even have, like, a page that you can pick animations. And which I call the, like, now current, like, a GIF. Mm-hmm. is like, it, that's what it sort of, like, animated. But you'll have to check them out. They're really cool. That's cool. I've never heard of it. And I love the way that you said, you know, it's a 90s thing. Like, how old do you think I am here, Chelsea? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's so cool. Like, I was a, I was a young kid in the 90s, um, but I'd never heard of that thing. That would have been so cool. Yeah. I feel like that's definitely what aligned my path without, like, me thinking about it you know, mm-hmm. going to college. But now that I like reflect on that, I'm like, that's definitely my first like taste of design, the design world. Okay. So. so what age was that where you were like starting to draw on the TV using that thing? Oh, four. I remember. <laughs> that's so cool. Okay, I know. So that was your first sort of intro into design, whether you even knew it or not at yeah. the time. And did you then just pursue art? Was there art school involved? Like, what was the next sort of few milestones? It actually wasn't. Like, I grew up and I was like a tomboy and I love sports. So, like, I feel like you have to be competitive to be a designer and, Mm -hmm. like, want to, like, excel in yourself. Mm -hmm. And I definitely get that from my dad. But I didn't take, like, I mean, we had art classes, like, through middle school. But in high school, I didn't take art. And... I, like, I would doodle sometimes, but I feel like I didn't realize that's what I wanted to do until I sort of, like, fell into it. Mm-hmm. Like, it sort of it sort of attracted itself to me, then me attract to it kind of deal. Okay. Um, tell us about that. How do you – how did that all come about? How do you feel that you sort of fell into it? What were the circumstances of that? Well, I went to college undecided, mm-hmm. and I just took one art class. I was like, you know what, let's just – I don't know what I want to do. Let's just take one for fun. And it was called 2D design. Okay. So it was like the basic of the basic class. And I just loved it. And I was like, I mean, especially my teacher, she like um, told us, she's like, you know, we can talk about what this can turn into. 
Mm-hmm. This doesn't just have to be an art class. Like you could be a set design, you know, graphic design. You could be a painter. Like and she like just rambled off all the things that you could be. And I, I, I remember before my second semester, I signed up for all nutrition classes. Okay. And the night before the semester started, I changed all my classes to art because I was like, I have to go with my gut. It's mm-hmm. got to. Um, and I think I just really fell in love with making things that could pursue, like persuade people and like evoke emotions instead of just going to a nine to five and not having anything to show. Okay. So your gut was saying there's something to this art thing. There's something there for you. That's where you should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you followed your gut and here you are. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. That's so cool. That's so true. You follow your gut. If your gut's screaming something. God. Yeah, it was, it, it was screaming, you know, grab that paintbrush. Grab that mouth. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah. So then during this process, and even maybe the last few years, what stands out to you as the most influential design of your life so far? Um, something that you just saw and has really stuck with you. Yeah. Um actually like I read over this question and I was like man this is like the one that I'm like I don't know because like one thing the whole world is like a lot but then I went back and what came to my mind was my graphic design professor uh-huh. it was like sort of like my aha moment that I knew that design was the way to go perfect and he was talking about retail like in the grocery stores you know they put the sugary cereal on the bottom Mm -hmm. because that's where kids, you know, go to Mm -hmm. and that's what they can grab. That's what they can reach. And like, I think, I mean, that's not a big deal to like most people that know about design. They're like, well, yeah, like, duh, that's like product placement. But like at that time I was like, Oh my gosh, like design could do so much to persuade people to buy, to purchase. You can do so much to like change the world by like, events like logos badges for like charities and i mean climate change and everything uh-huh. so then i thought about okay how does that relate to i think i'm going on a ramble here but this also let it, relates let it ramble <laughs> this also relates to my job now because we work in automotive and like you have different tiers of like how you want to design like do you want to design it to make it look cheap because it is a cheaper car and like you want people to know it's a good price or do you want to design it to make it luxurious and like expensive because you're wanting that demographic mm-hmm. which you know that goes back to i don't know if y'all have these in canada but dollar generals uh yeah i know what you mean yeah we have um what are they called i go to them all the time dollar there's like there's like dollar there's stores like, essentially i know yeah, what you're talking yeah, about yeah yeah, yeah. they're they just design so tacky but it's because that's the demographic they want they want like people to know that it's a it's going to be a deal and that they're going there to spend not a lot of money and i think that's what made me just know that graphic design was just more about the aesthetic it was more about like the entire thinking Mm -hmm. process which i mean is design (laughs) so it was it was sort of the realization from that instructor that you know, design can evoke an emotion and resonate 
with somebody to influence a decision, not influence in a negative way, but to show them at a quick glance what it's about, if it's for them, and they can perceive that. So design can shift perceptions. Yes. Got it. Um, Chelsea, who are some of the designers and brands that you look up to and closely follow? And what is it about them that you like? Um, I'm really into Elena Louise right now. Mm-hmm. She is actually a designer, illustrator slash Fisher woman. And I'm really into that because when I moved down to Charleston, I started in- getting into fishing. Because mm-hmm. uh, my boyfriend's um, a charter captain. So he does a lot of fishing. So I sort of had to love it. But it turns <laughs> out I do love it. Yeah. And um, I do a lot of fly fishing with him too. And she, I mean, she does great with like illustration and badge, like collaborations in unity without it looking like it doesn't go together. Um, but I don't try to follow her too closely because I feel like I'll lean into like her design style because I sort of do the same kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. also like um, Grant Kratzer. He um, goes under Cheatin' Snakes. Um, he does a lot of um, illustration work that, like, he just beats to his own drum kind of deal. He does what he wants, and, like, people love it. Uh, I think he actually shares the studio space with Sam Larson now in Kansas City. Um, and he's a, I mean, he's a great illustrator. Uh, I also am really into looking into more animation and motion mm-hmm. graphics, uh, like Panic and Radio, just for, like, something different to look at to not be so static what I'm working in to just change the creative gears a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good though, to sort of like refresh different um, you know, perspectives almost and look at different styles Definitely. of design because they can all sort of interact and merge and be fluid with one another. Definitely. And then I also really love Aaron Draplin, who doesn't? Mm-hmm. And the Hood, the Hood Sisters, Hoodspah. Um, I think that I'm attracted to them because they're good motivators and good teachers mm-hmm. and their work reflects that. And um, I actually found Aaron Draplin first on Skillshare, not on anywhere else. Mm-hmm. I took some of his courses in um, the Hood Sisters. I read their book and I need to read it again because it's just great <laughs> advice. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, those are great ones. And uh, I've had Definitely. both Aaron Draplin and the Hood Sisters on the show before. Oh, I've so, listened to both of them. Oh, Awesome. <laughs> Yeah, you can yes. get a little bit of the intro story there. Oh, definitely. Um, Chelsea, I want to ask you how you've utilized print in your design career so far. You mentioned that um, through your day job, you do dabble in some printing. Um, can you tell us about some of those projects and what how you feel about print? Yeah, I actually did a lot more print back at my print shop I worked at in mm-hmm. Jonesboro, Tennessee. And we did a lot of vehicle wraps. That's what we were known for was vehicle wraps. Hmm. Um I think that's where like I pushed myself the most and definitely was the most hands-on. Um, we also painted the track for Bristol Motor Speedway. Oh, cool. And I feel like that was like the coolest thing because you make patterns and you have to poke holes, then you spray paint them and then you have to like go out there and, you know, fill them in. And then after the race, like literally right when the race is over, you go back and you paint over them again for the next race the next day. Mm-hmm. So it's like, they're not even like off the track and you're already starting to paint after the race. It's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. Um, definitely some good ones. So more sort of outdoor signage projects, you know, stuff that's definitely. outdoor and visible from little further distances and that. Oh yeah. 
Yeah, and vehicle bigger, wraps. Bigger scare. And vehicle wraps especially are like their own little, um, very unique puzzle. stop puzzle. Hold, that's a great word oh, for yeah. it. A puzzle. Especially with a pattern that's like supposed to go all the way around and like on the roof and like, that, and that'll mess with your mind. <laughs> totally. And match and be, um, you know, line up and be consistent through all of the little intricacies of door mm-hmm. handles and curves and bumpers and everything else. Definitely. Got it. Um, well, Chelsea, the next few questions I have for you take you down part of your career um, where you've likely learned some lessons, made some mistakes, and I want to pull those stories out and share those with the listeners. So what has been the most challenging time in your design career so far? Why was it challenging and how did you get through it? The most challenging part of my career was the time before my career. Um, when I actually graduated mm-hmm. from university, I could not find a job. And I was like, why can I not find a job? And I was applying at every place you can think of. And then now looking back at it, I would tell any new like designer, like, you need to like work for it. You need to have <laughs> a portfolio for it. Like My portfolio was very weak. <laughs> and I... I think I just didn't have the direction. I didn't have the mindset. And I just thought that I couldn't do it on my own. I think Mm -hmm. that's what, like, the core of it was, like, you can put yourself out there. If you make stuff, especially with, like, the social platforms we have today, like Dribbble and Instagram, like, you can post, do stuff that you are interested in, and people will reach out to you. And I think back then I, I didn't know how to reach out to people as much. And, like, I didn't know how to reach out to the community like I should. Um, but I think like once I got that lucky break of that sign job, I started sharing and I, I think I pushed myself to get better, to get better jobs and more stuff I was interested in for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I want to ask you about your portfolio a little bit at that time. Um, what did it consist of? Why did you think it was a weak portfolio and how did you level it up? Yeah. So I actually have a fine art degree. So a lot of my portfolio was photography mm-hmm. and like paintings and people don't really want to hire you as a designer when your portfolio is paintings and photography. They mm-hmm. want like actual like package design. They want product design, like examples and the only ones I had I was my art show my art show was um dust jacket covers Mm -hmm. for like popular books but redone in a new light like very current design Mm -hmm. um and that's really all I had so what I did I you know would write out projects I mean at least to try to do one a week that reflected what I wanted to do and that would be professional mm-hmm. in that setting. So I at least, I mean, if I didn't get to it that week, I try to make it one every two weeks and then just build it up that way. Then, you know, get on the Instagram game, get your website running, get your um, resume all cohesive. Mm-hmm. So just 
It's the easy stuff. So that like Instagram and basically your website and even down to your resume and your portfolio, all of that is, you know, on brand for you and your brand and it, that, yes. it, that it makes sense and it's all streamlined and um, almost from quickly glancing at it, you could tell whose it was. Exactly. Got it. So when you were putting that work together for yourself, were you, I guess, sort of making up briefs in your head about projects and brands and then designing for that? And that became some of your portfolio? Definitely. It was more about like, all right, what can I push myself in, teach myself with kind of projects? So I was like, all right, this week I want to try typography. Like I'm horrible at it. Let's get better at it. (laughs) The next week, let's, you know, make some stickers next week hey let's you know design a package for who knows what but just Mm -hmm. at least try try to get better definitely that's important if you don't if you're not getting the work that you want to be doing just start making the work that you want to be doing and using, you know, the ease of access through Instagram and other online platforms to just start putting it out there. For real. That's definitely been a game changer for me is just doing stuff I want to do that I'm interested in and then the passion projects will follow. Perfect. Okay. I want to go a little bit deeper there. Take us to a design or a project that you were a part of that did not go well or bring the desired result. What was that like? How did that feel? Can you take us to that story? I definitely can, sadly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I recently had a client that came to me for a branding identity. Mm -hmm. And I was like so excited about it. I was like, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be the end. Like he knows so many people. Like it'll be great um, to have something local in Charleston. Um, Not going to get any, you know, I'm not saying names or anything, but um, we uh, did the first round of branding identity and I got no good feedback. And I think what happened there was a communication issue because Mm -hmm. I got so excited. I mean, we talked on the phone and like we were both excited about the project. And I think what fell short was, I mean, he found me through my Instagram. Mm -hmm. So what we fell short with, is he didn't want the same style as what I designed. And, mm-hmm. and I did not realize that. And the thing was, if I knew that from the get-go, I would have led him like a different way. Mm-hmm. I would have been like, hey, I know the designer for you. Like mm-hmm. this minimalistic, clean design is definitely not what I'm good at. So I ended up doing another like two more rounds before we got it to what we needed it to be. Just like... I think it was just like not good communication on either one of our parts. Mm-hmm. He also like he's not an artist, he's not a designer guy, and he just was like telling me, "Hey, like I'll know it when I see it." And I was like, mm, "That's Ugh. tough." I was like, "That's not," and I would even like try to pull it out of him. I'd be like, "So what do you not like? Like what can we change to get you happy?" Because I mean, I wanted him to be happy with the product, but. It was it was like pulling teeth, but I think we got it at least <laughs> what he wanted. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah. do, so what does that do then? What is, what is the lesson there? Is there something that you see in that situation where you go, okay, 
I need to change my onboarding process or my upfront process. Like, like does that change? Did, did it change something for you? Yes, it definitely added some more questions that I ask every client when we're like just discussing what the overview of the project and itinerary will be. Mm-hmm. So I added like a question about like style choices in like in-depthly style choices, like not just like tell me like it's clean or professional, but like it's just way more in depth and I'm making them show me even more examples of stuff they like. Mm-hmm. And also I've been adding mood boards to my um, whole process Mm -hmm. because I feel like that saves so much time. Um, I feel like my branding identity, like start um, a freelance world hasn't started till this year. So I feel like I'm still learning, still learning the process that way. But Mm -hmm. I feel like that has been a game changer for me to, you know, design for the client, not for myself. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I always hear that the first few years of freelance is where all sort of the gut punches happen and where you sort of fall down a little bit. And then through those situations, you build your onboarding process, you build your terms and conditions, mm-hmm. and you sort of create things around that, um, you know, aid in avoiding those situations ever again. Oh, definitely. I'm still like changing my proposal every single time and like my... Um Oh my gosh. Um, I make them sign off. What is that word? I can't even think of it. Contract. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. They got away from me. I make them sign a contract now. Um, just so everybody's like, all right, you can't make me design this forever and ever and ever. For Gotta sure. Get an end product. <laughs> yes, exactly. It has to stop <laughs> at some point. Oh, death. Okay. Um, Chelsea, what is something that you're struggling with in your design career right now? Right now, I'm struggling with time management because mm. I work till five and then I come home and then I side hustle and then my weekends are side hustling. And if you know about the Enneagrams, I'm a type three, so that means I love to work all the time. And that's me. Um, <laughs> uh, raise my hand and it's me. Um, and I feel like it's, I've been starting to learn how to balance and schedule. But it's definitely like I don't, all I think about is design, which is like a blessing because like I wanted that. I want to like, you know, design for passion projects and branding identities and like get to illustrate like dream like things. But mm-hmm. um, it's just about, you know, scheduling and time for me as well and for resting and my yeah. dog. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes. Very important. Keep the dog happy. Yes. <laughs> Very sassy. All right. I'm going to turn this bus around. I want you to tell us about a project that you've been a part of that you are the most proud of, one that just makes your heart sing. Oh, okay. I was thinking about this one, and this is the project I feel like that made me realize, you know what, you can do this. You can have a career in graphic design. But it's for a company called Brew Glue, mm-hmm. and they like rent out trailers that um, can hold like five kegs and like five taps. Okay. And it's like a big giant refrigerator. That's so you cool. Can rent, yeah, you can rent them out for like events, weddings, whatever, and you can like get whatever kegs you want, of course. But mm-hmm. I got to design their logo, their branding identity, and then I got to do all their vehicle wraps on the like trailer refrigerators. 
And then they got some merch done too. It was super awesome. That's cool. So why is that proud to you? Like, why are you proud of that project? I think it's because I got to work from the beginning to the end and um, got me a lot of street cred for (laughs) the design and um, people like coming to me for projects, definitely through that project. And I think it's like the first time I, you know, realized that, you know, just put yourself out there, work hard and I can be a graphic designer. I can do branding identities, you know, Mm. it's just, I like it. That's cool. So it's a big marker project for you, you know, in the freelance side hustle. Um, Plus it's kind of a cool project. And then you pulled pulled off the street cred out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Um, What is one design product, tool, website, or community that you just can't live without? Ooh, it's definitely Dribble. Oh, okay. I feel like Dribble is a great community to be in. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have their meetups, which you get to meet. Like, I feel like I've met like all the local people here now in like the short time I've been here for like two and a half years. Um, and I've actually got a lot of work through Dribble, mm-hmm. some freelance work, and like um, I just feel like people come to Dribble for designers and illustrators because they're wanting quality work. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's a lot different than Instagram or Instagram, you know, you can have your aunt Beth come and like try to, you know, contract you out for work. Mm-hmm. But like dribble, I feel like it's an elite like community of like people that are looking for, you know, worthy designers and illustrators. Very cool. Yeah. Um, have you heard of working, not working.com? I have, but I haven't even, like, got into it. Okay. Check it out. That's all I'll say. Okay. Okay. You'll dig it. Okay. I'm definitely going to then. Good. Um, Chelsea, you've reached the part of the show for the Ask It Forward question. That's where I have a question for you from my last guest, and you get the opportunity to ask a question of my next guest. I'm not going to tell you who they are, but you can ask them anything. So, saying that, my last guest, let me just find my notes here. I have stacks of stuff from my interviews today. You're the last one of the day. (laughs) So my last guest was Jeff Donegan, and he's the creative director and partner at Tank Design in Boston. The agency of about 60 some odd people. Oh, wow. So decent little crew. And um, he wanted to ask, with design evolving and, you know, the risk of design becoming automated, how can design influence change in the world still? I think it's it's not the automation is not part of the, the people that change the world. I feel like there's designers that can do things that can't be replicated by any like intelligence or machine. Mm-hmm. I feel like especially with words that can help change the client climate crisis and like can end sex trafficking. Like there are people that can design for that and Mm -hmm. that can change people's perspective. I feel like you can't, I mean, like you can't teach a computer to have those human emotions as simple as that sounds, but you just can't or the drive. You can't teach a computer to have the passion or the drive as a human and a designer can have. Totally. 
Yep. Nope. I agree. Um, just hold on a second. I want to make sure I got his question right. Um, so I, might, I, might, I might have got it wrong. No, no, no. I, no, I'm because <laughs> I didn't finish writing it down when I did my last interview. I had to run out and help my son out with something. Oh. Um, so let me just quickly just check. Sorry, just a sec. Listening into it here. Thanks, Chelsea. Just hang on. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. Yeah, it was how can we use design to improve people's lives in the future, which is not exactly what I asked, but I think it was pretty close. Oh, yeah. (laughs) What do you think? Do you want me to re-ask it? I don't know. Whatever you want to do, I trust you. You're the master. How can we use design in the future to change people's lives? You know what? I'm going to re-ask it. Okay. Sounds good. So, Chelsea, the question that I have for you from my previous guest is how can we use design in the future to change people's lives, you know, with the risk of design being automated and design evolving it closer to automation? Um, we can use design to change people's lives with the motion that goes behind design and that, you know, a computer's not going to know how to provoke emotion like a person would, um, designing for like the climate crisis and for sex trafficking and they just they'll just never be taught those emotions Mm -hmm. so it's like how can a computer design with emotion um like how would it yeah like is that you know that's sort of you think it's possible what i think about kind of thing no i don't think it is possible i don't think it's possible for a machine to design with emotion yeah, I don't think so either. I think that you can't you can't teach them. No, like you can you may be able to auto- automate a system and have it you know use AI to lay out a website so that it is more engaging. Yes. But as yes. far as brands and you know, you need human emotion to be able to do that. This is, I don't think there's a mathematical equation that AI could use yeah. to calculate emotion. And like. Like when the design changes, like when the style will change. Like I don't think a computer can predict what style choices that designers are going to make, mm-hmm. you know, with trends and whatnot either. For sure. So Chelsea, what is your question that you would like to ask my next guest? Well, my question was actually really sort of related to you giving me um, like the what's up to my dribble comment. But I was going to mm-hmm. ask him, what are they doing or what platform are they using to show work to get the demographic of work that they want? So what platform are you using to reach the audiences you want to reach? Is that sort yes. of the perfect? Yeah. Yes. Chelsea, you've reached the end of the Quickie Podcast. Thank you so much for your time. It's been great having you. Thanks so much, Dave. I really appreciate it. All right, everybody. That is the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening today. Now, that is a really good ask it forward question. I've had a lot of great ones, but I like this one. You know, the more specific of how are you or what platform are you 
using to showcase the work to reach the type of clients that you want to reach? Now, this is a different answer for all kinds of different industries, different types of clients. So you want to hear the answer to that one? You're going to have to tune in tomorrow to see who gets that question. Thanks again, and we'll see you tomorrow. Bye.